Welcome, Wheatland family and friends. Thanks so much for joining us. You're listening to Cross Reference, a podcast of Wheatland Presbyterian Church. I am Luke LaDuc, senior pastor here at Wheatland, and I am joined weekly by our co-host, Dr. Dan Spanger, professor of history and chair of the Arts and Sciences Department at Lancaster Bible College. As a professor of history, Dan is a bright mind and engaging lecturer, and as an elder here to our Wheatland family, Dan has a warm heart for the gospel of Jesus and our life together as the body of Christ. And I am thrilled to dig more deeply into the scriptures with him each week as we tackle questions, explore connections, and generally unpack the sermon from the previous Sunday. Along the way, we'll take a few side streets, a winding road or two, but we'll never be quite so lost that you won't enjoy the scenery. Thanks for coming along. back Wheatland community. Um, we are now, Pastor Luke and I, looking at the second sermon, and I um, I think Luke, Pastor Luke, you picked a nice short minor prophet. Uh, yeah, right. Was that intentional, just so you could get through it in two weeks? Well, and... no, I mean, it, it's just so happened that it fell in uh, place because it was the next one we had to do, but I must say, it was a blessed mercy. <laughs> and I think for a lot of our people can now spell Obadiah. That's right. And they can find it on their phones. <laughs> So that's yes, really helpful. Exactly. No sword drills here at um, at Wheatland PCA. You no. have to find OB, whatever the that's right. But you know, I, whatever the letters are in your phone Bible. That's right. But I do think we do have to get those pew Bibles back underneath the pews. And I think of that's us. a good idea. That's, I think that's something I hadn't thought about until just this moment. So yeah, I think, and I think moment. I've I've liked the convenience of looking it up on my tablet. But I think if it's there, I'd actually stop and try to find it in the Bible. Yeah, written we printed. Might, we might institute uh, sword drills now. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> See how that goes. We need an Awana club if we're going to yeah. do that. Um, the second the second part of this book, Pastor Luke, you, you've, you've started us out in the first one, looking back through the history um, of, of Edom, um, Esau, and um, and Jacob, and then how that related to Israel and, and Edom, which I've talked to other people since then, which was really helpful. I think a lot of our parishioners just weren't aware of it. And you even right. said that, I think, in the introduction of the sermon. Yeah. This, this one, you, you interestingly, and I think the two pattern well, you decided to then say you've got a historical framework between Esau and Jacob. But if you look at this, it's actually a cosmic mm. framework. It's not just limited to this context yeah. between Edom and, and Israel. And I think like for those who have bothered to click on this link and listen to this podcast, <laughs> I think this is one of those things that um, I would have wanted to say in the sermon, but of course you run out of time. But this is uh, actually a really important thing to note about why Obadiah is in the Old Testament canon itself. Like this, there, there were other things we know of from history that don't get included and don't get regular use. Mm -hmm. But this particular letter, I mean, to me, that's a remark. It's like, um, it's like thinking about Major League Baseball. And there are some real stars in Major League Baseball. And then there are just the guys that hit 253 and they're a utility player. That's the pop every, fly when necessary. Right. But you, 
you have to step back and realize that dude's in the major leagues and right. that is significant. He's still because, playing at Fenway on a right, exactly. Uh, and I and I think I think that's something like, okay, Obadiah is not Jeremiah, it's not, it's not Isaiah, but this thing is here, hmm. and the fact that it's here is incredibly significant. And and for me, that's what I was. That's what struck me about. I didn't, if I'm being honest, which I am at this point. Um, Too late not to be. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I didn't have that sense of the book when I went into it. Hmm. Um, but it was through the study these last few weeks leading up to this sermon series that I realized, wow, this is really impressive. You've got this, uh, that extended introduction that I did that roots it in Israel's own history and deals with a lot of exactly what's going on in that moment. And then the way it turns in verse 15 to speak to all of humanity, and that even becomes, I think, relevant for us in our own moment mm -hmm. is just this beautiful, oh, this is why it's here. This is mm -hmm. why it's in the big leagues, in a sense. Now, you've, you've said this, you, you were saying before about the book of the 12, these 12 Mm -hmm. Minor prophets usually considered as a package deal in some mm -hmm. sense, not just because they're short, but right. because they're all dealing with the same reality. And right. the reality that, that they're dealing with is exile, either right. going into exile, being in exile, coming out of exile. Mm -hmm. um, what, what about exile particularly makes this book then relevant to, to us here and now? Well, I think, as you, as you were saying, um, these Book of the Twelve, each one of them goes to Israel whether it's just as she's on the verge of going into exile, in the middle of exile, or after some people have begun to return, but you're still dealing with people who have experienced in their bodies and in their communities uh, this horrific exile. And, and of course, um, in the ancient world, you, you and I were talking a little bit off camera um, before this, or not off camera, what is off this? Mic, off, off, off mic, zoom? off recording, zoom? off Zoom. Yeah. We were talking by zoom, zoom, off Zoom. I don't know how that works, but we were talking about the ancient Near East and some of the context of, of other things that you're working on uh, in, in another thing you're writing. But, you know, it strikes me that, especially with what we've just experienced in the mm -hmm. pandemic, place does not have the place in our culture that place had in the ancient Near East. Like your identity was tied to the land in, in a very different way. Now you and I can do our, and we have done our job from uh, remote locations in this last year. I, I assume, did you teach LBC classes on Zoom at all or were you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, sadly. so I, you know, we did church from Zoom and all of a sudden place was displaced there for a while. So um, when we start thinking about the role that exile um, played in the life of the ancient um, Near East, and this was a, exile was a very particular um, form of subjugation mm. that was used by ancient Near Eastern civilizations to ensure that their control over a culture 
was um, locked down in a sense. And, and so what they did was they scattered people from their place because it messed with your identity. It brought people who, who might collaborate and conspire to overthrow. So um, yeah, exile was not just an awful thing that happened to Israel, although it was, it was a very sort of military political ploy in order to subjugate people underneath a, a new empire or a new regime. Um, why am I saying all that? Because <laughs> the point is that that actually is, I think, in many ways, our experience as Christians, as we, in our own time and place, I mean, it's no, it's, it's no secret that um, one of the, one of the ways that we have conceived of our life uh, based on the, the story of the scriptures is that we are exiles awaiting a final and full return. And um, in many senses, our experience of uh, our world as we know it is the story of an exile. We're not at the final place that we're meant to be. The world has not been put back together. We're not home in the land in the way that we will be um, in God's new world. And so, yeah, these, I think there's a lot of fascinating connections. We're people on the way, but we haven't, all things have not been um, brought to their final place. And the, and the, one of those key features, I think, of the exile, as you're talking about it, is the, it's exile out of the place of God's good reign. Like, mm. and I think we've talked about this before, but it's a helpful picture as it's repeated in scripture that that sin and and being cast out of the garden was the first exile and that everything is a returning after that it's mm -hmm. it's a return to the garden it's a return to the land it's a return to god mm -hmm. even yeah. even regeneration seems to be terms of restoration and return somehow yeah and i think that if that's the case as obadiah helped frame us even in this period that that we are anticipating a restoration or a return out of exile and back to God's good reign, Christ's good reign over his, over his kingdom. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and that's sort of what we did on Sunday with yeah, yeah. Uh, the two points of the sermon, this idea that the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. So what I called those two bookends mm -hmm. at the end that really drive that point home for us, I think. Now, how does that how does that help us understand? Because the point of justice here, and injustice, uh, grappling with those two terms. I mean, you you connected dis, injustice to disorder, which I think is really helpful mm -hmm. biblical framework. Injustice is just not a bad thing that happens; it's an unwinding of all that's good. Yeah. And you, you've used this picture before um, that that the 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 initial state of the world in chaos that God brings good order to is what all of our injustice is bringing the world back to disordered relationships, yeah. disordered humanity, disordered society. So talk to us a little bit, talk, talk a little bit about how should we then understand justice and that term in the framework of God is going to ultimately bring a kingdom and restore his reign. And we're in exile now when that's not happening. Yeah. How does that help us understand the terms like justice? Well, I think, I think it, I, I spent some time Sunday, um, playing at the corners of that by talking about God's justice, first of all, not being pun uh, not merely punitive, right. but actually uh, it's rooted in his character. It is 
the presence of God himself as he is and who he is. Right. And, and that when, so when we see God's presence hover in the form of the spirit over the chaos, uh, uh, it, that, that image in, in Genesis one, the, the void and the chaos and the emptiness that what comes out of that is order and fruitfulness and, and a kingdom is established mm -hmm. out of that. Mm -hmm. um, and then of course, <laughs> God, we see in those early opening scenes that God is communing face to face with his people in this. They, they have been delegated power. They're meant to embody in a sense, the kingdom by extending the, the, the kingdom of God through their labor, through their family, all that sort of stuff. Um, to be a witness, in a sense, I, I think I might have used that word on Sunday, to this thing that God has established. But the moment that they, and, and this is what I found so interesting too, Dan, that I don't think I'd ever thought of it this way, but their, uh, their lust to know good and evil, mm. to discern good and evil, um, to me sounds very much like a desire to be able to make the decisions of justice right. around them and in their space without right. reference to God. And, and, and that's where I really began to think more deeply about this. And in some senses, I probably owe everybody an apology because that honestly was the first time I'd really thought about Adam and Eve as um, somehow longing to do justice themselves, which I, I don't know, maybe you can comment on that. Maybe you've thought about that in, at, uh, in, 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 at another level than even I have, I think. But, but obviously that didn't work out, right? Well, no, I think you're right. I think, I think if you go back to the, um, the creation narrative and the naming, that to name is to is to control. So mm -hmm. to know is to is to control. It's not just some epistemological. I know what the good is and I know what the bad. It's to mm -hmm. decide in some sense. And so, if to take the fruit is now you you decide what is good and what is evil. I think you're right. You're not referencing anymore God's terms. And I and I, I would agree with you entirely. And I I don't know if 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 I could prove it in the moment, but right. humanity has since then tried to bring justice. And I think by not referencing God in that process, we've done, as you said, and you made this argument Sunday, just the opposite. It's right. things we think are good are actually evil, not all the time. And I think our no, society gets yeah. a lot of things right. right. But ultimately, they're not saying this must fall under the kingship of God. So therefore, they're going to do things that don't align with his, his perfect character. Yeah, no, I, I think it is. It's that subtle. I think that's the subtlety about confusing good and evil as well mm -hmm. is that um if if you refuse to if we in our pride uh, you know that's we saw that tracking in obadiah too it's the pride of their heart that deceived them if in our pride if in our desire to be our own reference point mm -hmm. that we resist the definitions of good and evil. I was talking about on Sunday that when God called stuff good, it's not merely, hmm, that, that really turned out well. I, right. I, I like this. It's, it's something 
deeper than that and more profound than that, I think. Mm-hmm. I think I think the other thing is there. I, I, I'm not arguing that God doesn't look at it and behold and it as it, good. Yeah. yeah, he does enjoy it and we should enjoy our work. I think all that's there. But I also think there's another layer to that where like he puts the creation, he calls the creation out of chaos and it is this functioning organism of life and goodness under his reign and under his authority that he's delegated to humans to then extend that and and to continue that throughout the whole earth and that is what he's calling goodness i mean it's it's what he's calling actually i have separated this from evil in the way that he separated you know the the waters which Mm. was the land from the waters and and you know that in the in the ancient near east the waters were this this great image of chaos and that that sort of thing yeah 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 now and and i think that i think that resonates with other textures in the fall narrative because it's it's eve sees the 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 apple is good for food and you know i think i think if we if we say we connect this to exile Mm-hmm. we can see that the other nations have determined their own good and evil. Mm-hmm. They've got their own laws and rules based on their appetites or their cultural right. perspectives or right. whatever seemed right to their eyes, the same way that probably right. we were dealing with in the time of Noah, that it's their eyes that have determined good and evil. And if that's yeah. the case, then they're not aligning with God's determination for good and evil. Yeah, and in which I- case, is our exile always going to be in a time of injustice? Yeah. Ultimately speaking. Yeah, I think ultimately speaking, the answer has to be yes. Yeah. And I think that's what is so hard for us, um, especially as moderns, mm-hmm. who, um, and I've, I've said this in other ways too, we're always thinking we're so much wiser and so much smarter than the ancients. Right. And actually we're doing maybe in a little more technological and sophisticated ways, perhaps, we're, we're, we're still dealing with the very same things. You know, when, when God attempts to restore order in, in a world that has been disordered because of human pride surrounding this idea of good and evil, he does it by establishing a kingdom in a right. sense. I mean, right. you, you can see that that is the ongoing theme of the narrative of the scriptures mm. is that in order to n- not in order to lord anything over anybody not in order to prove how powerful he is and and how that everyone must bow to his lordship that's sort of underneath of there but the but what god is doing in establishing a kingdom that had very specific laws about good and evil even some that make us wonder about exactly what's going on right. he was seeking to re-establish that order and that beauty and that goodness but he was always doing it through people it, that had gathered together as a community under his kingship under under his lordship so he's establishing yeah a kingdom um and it's and it's hard to get around the idea that at the very core of the success or failure of any kingdom is this idea of how you measure good and evil. Right, right. That's a good point. And I and I I think I think then the parallel, Luke, I think does it deepen because the church really is this really awkward kingdom in a sense where we are trying to live out 
the law of God to say he calls, you know, the temple on the Sermon on the Mount, probably being the, the quintessential version mm -hmm. of it. Yeah. Live out this law system, which is not Rome's law system, and it's not right. America's, and it's not Sweden's, and it's not so right. forth and so on. Um, so are, are we in exile trying to live out a good and evil economy mm -hmm. or law yeah. that just doesn't agree with our yeah you know those that are holding us or the cultures yeah. we live in no it is it it is the tension of of trying to do that in in a place where every other uh endeavor no matter how moral or immoral hmm. and i think that's that's sometimes where we get lost we we look at let's say we look at our culture around us and we're judging it based on whether mm. our notions of moral or immoral. Mm. And, and, and you could make a lot of judgments about that. But the real question behind, <laughs> behind that is, or, or the real problem behind that is, is no matter whether something is moral or immoral, mm. the real problem is humanity's consistent refusal to allow God to set the framework for good right. and evil. So, so you can imagine a scenario where a culture like ours that has so much beauty and so many good things that are happening around us that are moral in one sense, mm. um, and a lot of immoral stuff that we can point out too, of course, we could, we could, we could sometimes think that that's actually part of the kingdom of God, when actually, mm. if we work all the way back through this, mm. the kingdom of God is a place where God is the one who has the authority to mm. define what is good and what is evil. And we are his people who are always getting that wrong, but aware of that and through repentance. And, and right. you know, if, if we go back to the Old Testament, there were all these... Um, the whole sacrificial system was about, you know, confet, you know, awareness, self-awareness of where we had violated this good and evil that we didn't fully understand and could not fully understand because of the ways in which we were broken from the fall when we first initially grasped it. That, that's profound, Luke. I, I um, as a as a story, and I think what strikes me is that every age has idolized their system of moral right and wrong, and. Hmm. And they fully convinced of it. They, they go, well, this makes total sense. And they're willing to fight for it and die for it. And they're willing mm -hmm. to conquer for it. Because they're rarely do nations rise up and say, I want to be the worst nation ever. Right. <laughs> we're we're going to see, you know, we're going to see if we can do some really bad stuff. And at the end right. of the day, have a huge party and right. celebrate our badness. Right. Typically, it's because of the God behind them or the ideals that they have mm -hmm. that they say, mm -hmm. we now know what's right. And we mm -hmm. have the authority to finally bring it about. Thank goodness. Mm -hmm. We're the Assyrians, the Germans, the mm -hmm. whoever, we're here and we can do it. Right. Um, we, they idolize, and I think this culture is no different, right? We're, we're starting to idolize a, a certain set of morals. Mm -hmm. And what's, what's frightening in the way that you've been describing this as exile is do we, are we starting to abandon our identity as those that seek God's justice? Mm -hmm. And if we blurred our culture's idolatry of a moral right and wrong mm -hmm. with what we think God wants. And so now mm -hmm. we can say, well, the Bible's nice and all about some of these things, but right. it's really not as thorough as say a modern right. contemporary yeah. view is of like, yeah. gender equality or proper right. social relationships or something like that. Right. And, I, and I think <laughs> it seems to me that at the heart of it, 
uh, one way to, uh, so there are always going to be things that we're dead set against right. that are clearly immoral and outside of God's right. plan for human, human flourishing. Right. And then there are other places that are going to appear very moral. Hmm. And, and, and it's not that they appear moral. They actually do line up in some right. sense with God's vision of justice, but it's not because our friends and neighbors have accepted God's definition of good and evil. It's right. because they have defined it as good and evil. They're still the ultimate reference point in, right. In, right. in that discussion. And that's, and that's where you have to, that, I think that's where it gets difficult for us as a community to distinguish those places and and work where you can work but also be very clear that the referent point is never human wisdom it, right. it's it's god's wisdom but i think one of the things that helps us sort of walk through all of this is it's that humility that leads to um leads us in the middle of all this uh to the practices of repentance and right. forgiveness Right. That is like, that's, I think, a place where even when there are, are moral issues and moral, um, moral beliefs and commitments that we share, probably the thing that we will always have in distinction from our culture is this notion of repentance and forgiveness, which is actually mm -hmm. embedded in God's kingdom from the very beginning in its own way in the Old Testament and then radically and and definitively in Jesus mm -hmm. in 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 the New Testament. That's wonderful. Um because I think that that goes back to your what you framed this in the beginning is that this is this is God setting the terms for our relationship with him and it's humanity taking upon even Esau taking upon himself mm -hmm. how justice needed to be delivered and what needed mm -hmm. to happen to Israel and right. we're going to do this because you deserve it. That whether that was right or wrong, and I'm thinking back to our conversation about the previous one is whether or not you were right and wrong on that, that was not what God asked you to do. Right. Dan Carver, who teaches here at LBC with me, would often say that in the Old Testament, the word righteousness, we've interpreted in a Greek term, meaning some purely right mm, or wrong like concepts. a form or something. Right. Yeah. Some. Yeah. And so like you've been using the word morality, which I think it's at that, where he said most often the word is translated as loyalty. Mm. Will you be mm. loyalty to Yahweh? Mm. Loyal to Yahweh. Mm -hmm. And that and I think that goes to your point. The world can choose, and maybe they see and it's got some things right. They had orderly society with decent right. laws. And Code of Hammurabi had some yeah, good stuff. Yeah, they did some bad yeah. stuff. But even the good stuff they were doing, they were not doing out of loyalty to Yahweh. They were doing right. it because it agreed with their own sense of these things. Right. Um, yeah. and, it, and, and the Christian to pursue justice has to produce it or pursue it as loyalty back to Yahweh. Right. And, and exactly. And, as, and the more that all of our efforts at pursuing justice are rooted in the character of God, right. who he is, justice, judgment, and mercy, then I think mm. that allows us to keep at the heart of all of our works for justice, that idea of repentance mm. and forgiveness mm. that sometimes gets um, sort of recast as another form of oppression in a right. sense. Right. And I, I'm sympathetic 
uh, and that's, I, I think this is why I think the church, Dan, now I'm forgetting which pod, are we talking about race or are we talking about Obadiah? <laughs> I forget, but no, I know we're talking about Obadiah, but I think this is why it's so important for us to be having these conversations because mm -hmm. there is, we, we have to be able to hear and to see and to stare square in the face, the places where we have sinned against one another. Yeah. But the heart of that is confession, the church. And that's, that's, I think, my heart for us in all of this is that we, we do not lose what is absolutely essential to the gospel. Hmm. And that is repentance and forgiveness. And um, that has to be part of our work in all this. Right. Cause I, yeah, and that's great because I think then if you, if you take this then into the, through the old Testament law and into the new Testament, when God brings justice to his people, he does it through Christ's sacrifice, mm -hmm. he does it through forgiveness when we repent. So, and, I, and maybe that's one of the reasons why living God's justice is so impossible for us as we just yeah. don't have the divine mercy right. that God has, nor and, the divine precision, which I think to your point has been the two things that equal God's justice. It's mm -hmm. infinitely merciful and infinitely precise, if we can say it that way. Yeah, no, that's true. And I think it, if we, we, the church does need to have, dis I'm, I'm thinking of that, I think it's Isaiah. I, I should look it up, but it, it's this little phrase that, it's like an earworm that's been embedded in my brain um, where, Jer yeah, yeah, where Jeremiah said, is it Jeremiah? You have healed the wound. My people have healed the wound lightly. Um, and I, I think that's part of what at least I hear um, people saying, my, my, my own black brothers and sisters saying about the church, you've healed this wound lightly. You've not addressed it. And, and I think we need to be open to hear all of that and be willing to sit with what repentance looks like, what, what forgiveness looks like in these situations. But, it, but at the end of the day, it is that at the center, um, this idea of God is the one who comes into the middle of these situations with his judgment and his mercy. And we have to go into that same situation open to both pieces of that and loyal of to God's him. character. And I, yeah. And you said this, and I, I think this is really helpful um, because if, if we try to live this thing out, so we're, we're now Hebrews in, in Assyria or Babylon or something like that. And like Daniel, you're, you're not going to bring justice to the world. Um, in one sense, I wouldn't know how, because it's right. God's not mine. Yeah. So, so, so we have to participate and you use two words and maybe you can just unpack these. The one word was witness. And which I think is profound and dynamic. It's not as passive as it's. Mm, mm -hmm. And the other word you used is embody. Neither one right. of those seem to me to be, yeah. you know, mistake making the mistake of grabbing the apple and saying, I'm going to figure out what's right or wrong and make it happen. Right. It's something different. So how, how do those right. two become our, our way forward? Yeah. And I think, I think that's exactly what we're, I'm hoping for our people to hear at the end of this little um, foray into Obadiah is that our work in these days is not actually to construct the kingdom of God in our, in our community around us, as much as it is to, in our relationships with one another here and in our relationships in our community, to 
give witness to the ethics of the kingdom of God that you're talking about from Matthew, uh, from, from, from the Sermon on the Mount, my, you know, five and six and seven, all of those things, like we embody that here and the progress of God's kingdom the bringing us out of exile back into the place that he is bringing us is always his work. Right. We, we don't actually check mile markers off as we, as we right. go on this journey and say, Oh, that was mile 47. Oh, now we just crossed mile 80. Let's pull <laughs> over and take a few pictures at this roadside scenic view. Um, but what we're doing is as a community, working out the ethics of God's kingdom in and among us right now, when it doesn't make any sense to live that way because of the kingdom that seems to actually be in charge and calling the shots around us mm. is that we're coming together. And in the face of all sorts of cultural pressures or kingdom pressures, however you want to think about it, we commit ourselves as a, as a body, as a family, uh, as the church, as the body of Christ in the world that has a real job to do, and that is to live out these things in our own family and in all of our relations in the world around us. And it is God who brings us home. Right. This goes back to your bookends then, doesn't it? Because I, yeah. I think that what I, I liked about, and you said it a couple of times, and then I think at the end you... So it was nice. It sort of teased it until um, it got to the end and say that the bookends of our life in this world are between the nearness of the day of the Lord mm -hmm. and the kingdom belonging to the Lord's. Mm -hmm. If that's our reality, then I, I think you, you've said this, why Micah 6, 8 makes sense, yeah. is that we're, we're not supposed to live as if the kingdom of God is never coming and we're not supposed right. to live like we are the kingdom. Mm -hmm. We're supposed to live between these bookends, in which case our witness is pointing to these two bookends right. as we live our lives, which I think is a profoundly yeah. different way of going about living in this world than what our culture is asking us to do. Yeah, and I think I, I love that. I love the language of Obadiah where he says the day of the Lord is near. And I, I, I feel like a failure from Sunday is not doing more with that idea of the nearness. I think a whole sermon could be <laughs> constructed mm -hmm. or some, some really thoughtful stuff anyway could be constructed on what does that mean, that the kingdom is near? How do we live with the proximity of the kingdom? Um, but at, at the barest, I think it means we live with a sense of urgency. If something is near, like, uh, I don't know how you are about writing lectures for your classes, <laughs> but when it comes to writing sermons for Sundays, the nearer 8 a.m. gets, yeah. the more urgency I live with, yeah. with yeah. regards to that. So I, anyway, I think there's a sense in which that is, that is what we as a community are always living like, even though we don't know when God will bring all things to completion right. in Jesus. Every moment is lived with this urgency that it's near. Mm. And, and I think that's a lovely thing. And then the confidence, yeah, at the end that the kingdom shall be the Lord's is we're never forgetting that as we're living with this urgency, the kingdom is always his to grant and to establish. And that that is the end of all of our urgent living is that the kingdom right. will come. So it's not like we're just living in this urgentness of the day of the Lord so that 
we do good things or so that we're better people. No, we're actually living this way because this is ultimate reality. Right. Right. The kingdom will be the Lord's and all, all that we've done to sacrifice ourselves, all that we've given up, um, all that we've let go of from our own time and place and space is not a letting go of. It's a grasping mm. onto mm. what is actually coming. Mm. And I don't know how you live with any sort of authenticity in a day where so much is on offer to you. If yeah. that's not what you're living for, yeah, that's great. Because, and I, I think the say this whole, you know, witnessing and embodying. One thing, and I think you did say this, which I thought was really helpful about nearness. Is nearness talks about something being real. Mm-hmm. I think, and think mm-hmm. of nearness as chronologically, but I can think yeah. of nearness as, you know, my my car is right across the parking right. lot. If yeah. it's too far away, it might. And I think like a little kid, you know, when your parents mm-hmm. leave, they, they disappear and cease to exist. Right. When they're in the room, they're actually real. And then all of a sudden you act very differently because mm-hmm. it's real. Mm-hmm. That if, mm-hmm. if the day of the Lord is near, i.e. very, very real, mm-hmm. then it has to organize and orient my life. And I think mm-hmm. this goes to that point of witness that we're like pointing to the ultimate reality. Like when, when I love my neighbor, I'm not, I'm not actually fixing the world. I'm trying to align my life with God's right and good and evil because that's more ultimate than yours is, than mm-hmm. mine is, than this world's mm-hmm. is, than this culture's is, because this culture is going to be in the dust in any number of years, like every other one was. Mm-hmm. And we point to the one that's more near and more mm-hmm. real. Right. It was, a, it was a really great little uh, quote um, by, um, I will think of the English writer, Malcolm Muggeridge. And he oh, said, yeah. and I've used this before, but he said, um, he said, I can't prove that God exists, but he is certainly more real than I am. Hmm. And I think, I think that gets at it, that I, I can't, I, I feel that this is all right in front of me, but this is all temporary. This is just going to come and go. Mm-hmm. But that thing that's right. near, as you said, is ultimate and absolute. Yeah. And, and sort of that's what faith is. That's what God is working in us mm-hmm. at all points. And that's, it's, it's that, it's sort of our grasp on that, that is always, um, we're always in need of one another to help mm. us grasp mm. that more mm. and more clearly. That's why mm. community is so important. That's why right. uh, doing this with one another, uh, our worship is reminding us each week that right. I know what you've experienced this week and I know how hard it's been and how real it is. Here's ultimate reality. The kingdom will be the Lord's persevere. Um, all of that stuff. Yeah. That's beautiful. And um, hopefully, and I think it has for me, um, even though it's hard to sometimes open one of the minor prophets and feel like I'm going to make sense out of it. But Mm, I I think what you've unpacked for us here really resets the way we look at the world, the way we look at our participation in it, maybe Mm -hmm. maybe the way that we reorient ourselves around what God is calling us to, which we don't fully know, don't fully understand, not fully realize, but we're going to be faithful witnesses to it, I think is practical in one sense. Yeah. And that's great, Dan, because I think what you're saying there about what God has called us to this allow this view allows Mm. us to be very risky Mm. to take, Mm. to take life risks for the kingdom of God. Not, Mm. not, I'm not talking about um, stupidity here, (laughs) although um, there's plenty of that to go around. I, but I, this allows us to take incredible risks for God's kingdom, because it's no risk at all, really, in a sense, the kingdom will be the Lord's. Yeah. 
the world is far riskier. Yes, <laughs> it's yeah. Betting on that's right. Right. Pascal makes this point, right? The world, the world is betting on really bad information, but mm. the, the Christian is betting on yeah. certain data. Yeah. 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 That's helpful. Yep. Well, Great. we look forward to the next one. I, I know you. I know we're going into. Was it? We're going into First John. First John. Yeah. First yeah. John for the summer. So Keith is going to kick that off this Sunday, and then uh, I thought we're. Uh, well, I should say. Um, People will probably know this by the time this gets released, but Keith has done so much over this pandemic time, just with us having to go very granular on everything we do here. He's been doing a lot of the operations. I've just sort of stayed in my office and kept <laughs> reading and, and that sort of thing. But Keith has been organizing volunteers and, you know, we've, we've done, we've, it's been a, a very busy year in that regard for Keith and the session has asked him to take some time in June to um, recuperate and rest a little bit. And so Keith is gonna be on sabbatical in June. Okay. Um, and so we're gonna take a, a hiatus on our podcasting stuff for June, but we're gonna um, probably, maybe not a full hiatus. I think we've got some things we're gonna do, but um, Coming back in July, I think is that the right timetable we talked about, so, Dan? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we're gonna we're gonna pick up uh, some more um, really boring topics <laughs> that nobody really wants to talk about or argue about, such as uh, I don't know human oh, don't sexuality know. or something like that. Yeah, so we'll we're gonna pick those back up in uh, our pastors and a professor context and. Um, but um, yeah, we should, we should keep with the cross-reference yeah. uh, pieces from the sermons. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the one thing we're going to keep going during June. But then when Keith is back, we're going to we're going to dive into some of these other more sort of cultural and um, you know weighty topics that yeah. uh, people are uh, talking about, hopefully talking about and working through. Yeah. So. Well, that's been good, and this is um, so. A sign off is something like this has been Pastor Luke LeDuc and Dr. Dan Spender in Cross Reference. So thank you, Pastor Luke, for your time. Yeah. Look forward to the series of First John. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for all your work and all this, too. Friends, thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Cross Reference, a podcast of Wheatland Presbyterian Church. You can learn more about our church and discover additional resources on our website, wheatlandpca.org.